Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Feminism, 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 feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. Hi, my name is Melissa I'm Ella Stolen. Welcome to... This next episode of Feminism Ruins Everything. I'm excited. Are you excited? I am excited. Uh, Ellis, tell our friends what we're going to be chatting about today. Well, we figured because uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and his people have been releasing one of their musicals pretty much every week while we're all in isolation. Bless them. They just released The Phantom of the Opera Mm. at the time of this recording. Yeah. Uh, So everyone over the weekend got like Phantom Crazy... Got to relive. It was the, the 25th anniversary with uh, Ramin Karimlu and Sierra Borges and yes. a bunch of other incredibly talented performers. Mm. Uh, and, and people got to relive the Phantom of the Opera. Ellis, I will confess to you, um, because I love the way that isolation is going and I don't really know what day it is, on Monday morning... I did not realise that it was Monday morning, but I was like, oh, yeah, I might, I might go and watch Phantom now. And uh, logged in. It was like it was only available over the weekend, and I was like, "Is it not the weekend still?" Yeah. That, so that's how I'm doing. That's uh, how isolation is going for me. So I did not join the bandwagon and watch it with everybody else. Uh, listen to the soundtrack, though. But we were we were able to listen to it. Um, the yeah. 25th anniversary editions on Spotify somewhere, and so we you know we got to listen to the entire thing, and we figured that Phantom would be a really good. Uh, topic for our podcast yeah especially that it's because it's like fresh in everyone's exactly. minds um i really appreciate this uh recording because it includes all the dialogue yeah um that's like a big gripe that i have with cast recordings when they don't have the dialogue and you're like what's going on you can't quite figure it out but this one you you like get a real sense of the whole story because you, you can the, the entire production you can listen to whenever you want and it it's really a great recording it of is. that show. Yeah. I listened to it on my walk yesterday and it's it's so dramatic, right? That um, there were a few moments that it like scared me. <laughs> like I would be walking along and then like, you know, like the ensemble would scream or there'd be like a massive crash or just like some really heavy organ music would come in and I'd be like, ah it was yeah. It does a lot to lure you into a false sense of security and then something jumps out at you mm. musically and literally if you're watching it. Mm-hmm. So I think I think a good place to start with Phantom, because obviously it is adored worldwide, is kind of debunking its appeal a little bit and kind of going into why it is, like, say, the longest-running musical on Broadway, like why it, um, it seems really... Um, it's, it makes sense to have, like, a 25th anniversary concert. Like, the only other musical that I can think of that does something like that is, like, Les Mis. Mm. And it, give it a few years, Hamilton will probably do something like that as well. Oh, my well. God, 25th anniversary concert of Hamilton. That'd be sick. Oh, that'd be great. But, uh, but uh, Phantom of the Opera is also one of the few musicals I know of that had an, a sequel. Like, a sequel was written and sent to the stage. I know a couple of other ones have, but mm. none as big as, like, 
phantom. That's so true, yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any others. It's a really good point. I think Funny Girl had a sequel. Did it? Funny Lady. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know anything more about it than the fact that um, it exists. But it's title. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think from my perspective, the reason that I think Phantom is so popular is um, that it's just like, it's dramatic as all hell. Like It does not apologize for the fact that it is totally extra. <laughs> um, even just like from the... Like the... We were talking before about how the combination of organ plus synth is maybe like the most 80s <laughs> sound that there is. But um, just like the, the like crazy high operatic stuff, extra as all hell, like costuming-wise, set-wise, like a freaking chandelier falls in the middle of the show. Like it's so dramatic. And I think that's part of what its appeal is, I reckon. It's so it, it's it's real heightened melodrama. Oh yeah, and it's kind of it's the kind of thing that when people think of musical theater, that's where their their mind goes. Mm. And I think I think it's like I think it has continued success because people go, oh, the Phantom of the Opera is really big. I've heard of it. If I'm going to Broadway and I can only see two shows, I'd yeah. better see the show that everybody else is seeing or has talked about for the last twenty five plus years. Yeah, I, so, I think also. It's it's rare that you'd have a musical that is first and foremost a musical that has so much mainstream recognition. Because, you know, I think a lot of musicals that people know and recognise are recognisable because they were movies first. Mm. And obviously Phantom became a movie, but that was because it was a musical. Mm. It was the other way around. Like, it was, it was based on a book, and then the musical is probably the most famous adaptation of it. And then the movie came out in, like, 2004 to not a lot of acclaim or notice. We don't talk about that. <laughs> but also seemed to do little to impact the musical's success. Mm. So it's one of those rare instances where the musical is kind of the driving uh, force behind this story being yeah. told. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone like off the street even who hadn't heard of Phantom of the Opera, which I don't think you could say for many musical musicals. I think... Uh, it helps that there are there are a number of songs in it that have kind of just entered the canon mm. of society, like Music of the Night, yeah, uh, arguably the Phantom of the Opera song itself, yeah. All I ask of you, these like real classic musical songs that are just the standards now, yeah, yeah. Like if you if you walked into an audition room and you're like, hi, um, I'll be singing. All I ask of you, like you'd be walked out, walked out. <laughs> you'd be laughed out of the room because you know it's such a stock standard mm -hmm. number. Obviously, it's been running for thirty plus years. Thirty four to be exact. Thirty four to be exact. Just pulling that off the top of my head. <laughs> and it obviously has so much appeal. However, there are some factors. There are some themes that we are going to dive into today from a feminist viewpoint, to go XYZ is kind of problematic, and that's putting it lightly. It's one of those shows that the more you think about it, mm. the more issues you kind of come up. Like, I haven't thought about Phantom of the Opera properly for, for years, mm. 
and revisiting it and re-listening to it has illuminated a lot of things that I either didn't notice or didn't think was an issue before. Mm. Because one thing that Phantom does really well is distract you with its spectacle. <laughs> and when you're watching the show, it's like the, the sets and the costumes and the, the huge orchestra and everything kind of like bombards you with spectacle that you don't notice the little intricate details that are actually quite important and in a lot of ways quite problematic. Mm. I think the big thing that we're going to touch on first is Christine herself as a character. Because I'd say, you know, aside from Phantom, she's she's the leading lady of, of this show. Um, the female characters are sort of few and far between. Um, but... Even still, for for the leading lady, for um, the main female role in this show, she has very little agency. I think that's something that um, comes up time and time again in the show, the fact that she doesn't choose for things to happen. Things happen to her and sort of her path and her trajectory and um, the experiences that she has are greatly influenced by the men in her life who are sort of um, making those choices for her. Uh, even the the way the show begins is somebody else volunteers her to yeah, s- I, take over the role. Like, um, I think it's Meg. Yeah. Goes, oh, Christine will sing the role. And Christine's just like, no, I just, I just kind of want to stay here and be a ballet girl and, like, and yo, do just, my dancing and, and like, I'm ensemble. fine. And everybody's like, no, you will do this. And Men, or just anybody in general, kind of telling Christine what she's going to do, and Christine going, no, I do not want to do this, yet ending up being pressured to do it anyway, kind of happens like three or four times yeah, throughout the it's musical. it's a really consistent thing that you see crop up a bunch of times. And, yeah, like you said, even in the moments where she objects and she's like, that's not something that I'm comfortable with, I... Like, for example, when Raul's trying to bait the Phantom to try and, like, kill him, capture him, um, she's, like, to begin with, like, so not down with that plan um, and her objections are um, ignored, if I remember correctly. Mm. Does that sound right? And, um, yeah, I, I don't think... I can't pinpoint any particular point in the show where she sort of really takes things into her own hands and says, this is my choice, this is what I'm going to do, where it's respected. Even at the points where it appears as though she's made a decision, she is pressured into it. Mm. I think the the only time that she really kind of does something is when she visits her father's grave. Mm. And even then, it's a, I don't know what to do somebody please help me yeah she's still like in limbo and indecision and I I don't think that's a reflection on Christine as a character and Christine as a person like I think given um better circumstances and given another scenario like she could have a lot of agency and she could like make strong choices and she um could be like a really strong female role I think it's um, the factors around her that force her to become this sort of one-dimensional, quite um, flimsy character. The result of 
the fact that Christine has no agency is that we actually know very little about her as mm. a person. Honestly. Like, she's put forward for everything. She's kind of told, you'll be doing this. We don't actually know what Christine wants yeah. except to not do the things that she's been told she has to do. Yeah. And I... when, when you're leading Lady doesn't have like a driving force aside from I don't like the things that are being forced upon me at the minute you end up with a character who who isn't that fleshed out mm. and, and you kind of wonder like well why should I invest in this character who I'm getting nothing from yeah and I think that makes it really hard for the actresses that portray her that they don't have a lot to work with um, I mean, a lot of people, I know it's a, it's a huge dream role for many, like, operatic sopranos or um, people with legit tendencies in, in music theatre. Like, heaps of sopranos want to play this role. Um, and I think she's a great role musically. And, like, a huge singer, incredible sing. Beautiful sing. But for an actress, you really don't have a lot of room to, to move. And... Like, credit to Sierra Borges, uh, because she was in the, the 25th uh, anniversary special. She, she does a wonderful job with the role. And I remember when I first watched it, I, was, I found her performance incredibly compelling. And it's only when you kind of start to think about it that you're like, oh, there actually wasn't a lot there for her to work with. And mm. the amount that she had to put in to make you care about her was, was astronomical. Mm. And I think... This feeds into the, the idea that um, Christine's path, I suppose, is really more or less influenced by the men in her life. I think it feeds into the idea that, on one hand, it's a product of its time. Um, like, it was, it was written in the 80s, but it's set in the 19th century, yep. set in the 1800s in France. And it was also based on a book. Um, granted, you know you can you can take source material and and twist it. Like I mean, look at Hamilton, for mm -hmm. example. Um, so on one hand, I suppose the fact that there is this female character who doesn't have a lot of agency and doesn't have a lot of control over um, her life choices is probably historically accurate. But is that okay? I think. And, and granted, also, Andrew Lloyd Webber was writing this in the 80s, which, although life had changed dramatically for women worldwide, especially in the developed world between the 19th century and the 1980s, the 80s still weren't an incredible time <laughs> for women. Um, that being said, I think that when it comes to the portrayal of minorities, when it comes to the portrayal of women, I tend to be... I tend to think that historical accuracy is trumped by a need to portray these characters in a way that reflects modern values. I think this, this sort of ties into what we were talking about with Greece last week, um, the fact that what you see on stage can kind of leach into and influence 
um, your society, or also what you see on screen, which probably has um, broader implications. And I think that no one's going to sit there and maybe like a really small percentage of people will sit there if like Christine was this like incredible, like strong female character who like took charge of her own life. Um, how many people are going to sit there and go, um, for the 19th century, I don't think that's particularly accurate. Like, I, I don't think that that's going to be a huge gripe. Like, I think you can um, sacrifice some historical accuracy for the sake of seeing strong role models um, on your screens and, and on your stages. I think it also lends itself to a more compelling story. Like, who wants to see a story about somebody who is, um, who is like uh, two-dimensional or one-dimensional, and you know doesn't take control and doesn't do anything? I mean, evidently, when you're talking about Phantom, a lot of people want to see it. Apparently, so it's, <laughs> because it's a very popular musical. But wouldn't you wouldn't you rather see a story about strong characters, regardless like regardless of of any overlaying um, part to that at, at the end of the day you want to see a compelling story with good characters mm. and surely the best way to do that is to make your characters strong characters mm. so by adhering to quote unquote historical accuracy you're just shooting your narrative in the foot because your main character isn't supposed to be compelling yeah yeah, and I think you can look at shows, um, like I know I mentioned Hamilton before, shows like Hamilton, shows like Six, uh, which take these historical figures and these historical storylines but um, put them through a very modern lens and apply, um, to, to some degree, apply like um, modern values and like Six is feminist as all hell, you know, and um, I think you can portray historical figures but still maintain modern standards of um of progressiveness and that doesn't detract from the actual historical figure at all i mean the the fact that they were going to take alexander hamilton off the ten dollar bill in america and then the musical came out and people (laughs) were like no alexander hamilton is important they saved him from being changed (laughs) i didn't know that yeah that's that's a fun tidbit it, but it's like it, it's it's not like they were demanding that his photo be changed with Lin Manuel Miranda's Although, or anything like that. Look, I would love Lin Manuel Miranda to be on a ten dollar bill. Like I think that's is it ten dollars? Yeah, $10 the ten dollar founding, founding father, father without, without a father. A father. Um, look, I do think that Lin deserves his place on um, on a note. I'm just going to put that out there. I support that as well. But I, I guess the <laughs> the point is that more people. After listening to Hamilton, the modern reinterpretation of that story, more and more people went out to learn more about the actual figures yeah. in place. It didn't detract from Alexander Hamilton as a historical figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, our point being that, you know, even if Christine were portrayed as this strong female character and that were technically historically inaccurate because women in 19th century France didn't have agency, that would actually improve the show. Yeah. yeah. And it wouldn't it wouldn't detract from this beautiful like period piece. I, I think Christine isn't the only character who is kind of painted with this uh like one dimensional brush. 
I think in the effort to make the musical as grandiose and as melodramatic as possible, a lot of characters mm. lose their uh, their third dimension. Like, I don't think Raoul is a particularly well-rounded character yeah. either. I don't think the uh, the producers of the opera are particularly yeah. well-rounded characters. Yeah. Uh, Carlotta. Oh, it's, it's such a stereotype, yeah. The only character that really has any uh, real depth to them mm. is the Phantom himself. Yeah. Which is odd because he's supposed to be the most mysterious character of them all. <laughs> and he's the one that has the most fleshed out character. Yeah. I I kind of think that... Is her name Madame Jury? Madame Jury. Um, I think that she's got a bit of depth. I find her quite interesting. Again, in... Only in the sense that she's so mysterious. Yeah, that's like, so true. <laughs> um, and also, just I guess that's just in contrast to the other female characters. Yeah, she yeah. she does seem to have she has a commanding presence, and she is very knowledgeable and and somewhat respected by mm. a lot of the other characters in that. But again, you don't re- you don't really know much about her. You don't know much about her motivations. Like she's trying to protect the Phantom, but why? Mm, I think because she's scared of him. That's the way that I read it. Um, but, yeah, on the whole, the number of, like, really fleshed out, three-dimensional, we know what their motivation is and, you know, what their strong personality traits are, characters, very minimal. Very. In Phantom. Very few. <laughs> mm. I think probably the biggest gripe that you and I have with this show that is probably going to be the majority of our criticism is the dynamic between Christine and the Phantom. Um, Bit of a trigger warning, we're going to kind of delve into a sort of abusive, controlling dynamic between these two characters. So um, if you'd rather skip this bit of the podcast, we'll put a little timestamp in the description um, about... The, the time that this spans so that you know when to skip to. Thank you to one of our great listeners for suggesting that we do that. I think that the, the big sense that I got, the big takeaway that I had um, re-familiarising myself with this show is the fact that the Christine and Phantom dynamic, to me, has all of the hallmarks of an emotionally manipulative and abusive relationship. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily a, a bad thing um, in itself. Like obviously, abusive relationships are, are awful. But from a narrative perspective, mm. it could be a compelling um, story to look at. Yeah. And I, and I definitely think that portraying abusive relationships in in theatre and in film and in TV is important because they're a real part of life and um, they're something that should be discussed and for people that haven't experienced them, it's, it's something that the wider community needs to be aware of. However... Could you criticise it just a little bit, Phantom yes. of the Opera? Just like... Just a little bit of criticism towards the way the Phantom treats... Christine and anyone else. It's it's really it's abuse romanticized in my opinion. Um, it kind of it gives me almost like Fifty Shades of Grey vibes 
that there's this really unhealthy, um, almost abusive, well, actually abusive um, dynamic and that that's kind of portrayed as like, oh, sexy and mysterious and, and romantic. Um, we, were, we were looking into before um, Love Never Dies, the um, lesser known and significantly less successful sequel of Phantom. And the tagline is, what is it? like? It's uh, the-, the world's greatest love story continues. Mm. And, oh, that's... That's a lot of red flags that the people behind it have missed the point. Yeah, the the Phantom is the world's like this is the world's greatest love story. Like let, let's let's run through very quickly what the Phantom and Christine's relationship looks like from the show. Mm. Uh, so he essentially kidnaps her. Cute. That's the first thing that that's, happens. That's not cute. That was that was facetious. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he essentially kidnaps her, takes her down to his underground dungeon or whatever. Where, oh, so creepy. Where then he um, theoretically like hypnotizes her with his music, mm. and then it's very vague exactly what happens. But Christine ends up having his child in the sequel, so. Ooh. That oh, has so implications. Rapey. So rapey. Uh, he then like verbally abuses her because she touched his mask or, or, or took his mask off and like saw him without his mask, and he like hurls abuse at her. Mm. At which point he then deems it appropriate that she be returned to the opera, where he demands that she sings his piece, and he blackmails everybody into putting her on. Uh, when the producers don't do that, he then like assaults he he hangs somebody he assaults um carlotta somehow he's kind of magic but Mm. not really it's very unclear uh terrifying christine when he overhears her saying i have uh i I am quote-unquote in love with raul he then tries to murder her by dropping a chandelier on her head Six months later, he then reappears, blackmails everybody, says, Christine will sing this fan fiction that I've written for her. (laughs) He then tries to manipulate her while she's grieving at the foot of her father's grave. He then murders somebody else, sneaks on stage to sing this song with her that he is forcing her to sing a song about how much she wants to sleep with him. He then kidnaps her again, ties up, Raul and says if you don't love me I will kill this person Mm -hmm. at that point Christine is forced to kiss him essentially it the musical frames it like she's making a choice to kiss him but really he is like forcing her to do yeah he's gonna kill her fiance and only at that point when he he finally gets some action is he like oh maybe I shouldn't kill people and kidnap people and then lets them go. Greatest love story ever told, folks. Greatest oh. Oh man. Like I've I am um, I've written down some choice <laughs> phrases that just sort of really epitomize this highly problematic relationship. Um so before she even knows that the phantom is the phantom, like he to her is her angel of music and her tutor 
um, before she even realizes that it's the Phantom, he is already um, she's already under his thumb. Like Raoul's like, we're gonna go get dinner, and she's like, no, the Angel of Music is very strict. Like there's already this control and manipulation before she even realizes that he's the Phantom. Um, the just literally the whole sing <laughs> like, that whole section where he's like sing for me is so very commanding it's very so commanding like literally in my notes i've just written sing <laughs> in capital letters um there's also a bit where the phantom says about christine singing and performing in this role that she's fallen into um he refers to that, um, like, he doesn't ra- want Raul to um, be a part of that or to have any sort of relationship with Christine because he doesn't want... Phantom doesn't want Raul to share in his triumph, being that, like, Christine's success is his triumph. Gross. Um, what are some other choice phrases that I have? Um, Since the moment I heard you sing, I needed you to serve me. Ooh. Not my favourite. Uh, and then, of course, the end of um, Music of the Night is only then will you belong to me. So, like, there's this super possessive, super manipulative, incredibly jealous dynamic. Um, like, the relationship or the sentiments that the Phantom holds for Christine are so so controlling and straight up abusive. And there's also a moment uh, right at the end when the Phantoms kind of like kidnapped her for the third time or whatever, uh, where he outlies his motivation. And he's talking about how the fact that he has, he has quite significant scarring on his face and he was treated very badly throughout his entire life and shown very little affection because of his uh, disfigurement. Uh, And he actively says something along the... uh, He he says that his disfigurement has also denied me the joys of the flesh. So really, he's like... This is his moment where he's like, here is my entire motivation, and the thing that he decides to focus on is the fact that he hasn't gotten laid before. (laughs) Phantom has not got some... (laughs) Oh. Unless you can't, love never dies. Oh man! Where apparently they did, mm. and it's just super gross. And like, although Andrew Lloyd oh. Webber does say to treat that as a standalone piece, <laughs> so maybe in in some universes we can forget that that happened and pretend that Christine doesn't have a child who is phantoms, oh. and therefore suggesting that he may have experienced the pleasures of the flesh as it were. <laughs> um, I, I do think that something that is portrayed, which is um, an important perspective to put into our art, is this pull that Christine has towards the Phantom. Like, he, he is horrible to her, and yet she still is drawn to him, and he has this power over her, and he is this kind of intoxicating presence that she keeps um being pulled back to and i think that that's a really something very true of 
um, abusive relationships um, where despite everything horrible that a victim has experienced at the hands of their abuser, that there is still this this pull and this draw to go back to them. Like we hear so often in the rhetoric around like domestic violence, like, oh, why didn't you, you just leave or um, why did you go back? Um, it's it's part of the the power and the manipulation of um, abusers in this regard that um, they do have this intoxicating side that it's really hard to leave somebody who um, has tormented you. And I think that that's something that's portrayed in this, which in a, in a different context would be a really great thing to see put on stage and put into our art, recognising that that's the experience of people that have suffered at the hands of an abusive partner. But again, it's not framed in that way. (laughs) Um, There's no sort of critique. I wonder if that's also part of the reason that this has been such a prevailing piece because people come away, a lot of people come away from this show romanticising the phantom Mm. and in some ways being intoxicated with the notion of the phantom and i i wonder if there is that (laughs) if there's that part of somebody watches it and you see that they give the phantom a somewhat sympathetic backstory and that he has spent his entire life being abused by Mm. others and then the musical kind of wants you to be sympathetic towards that and forget how much he's abused not only Christine but everybody who works mm. in the theatre. And I wonder if the audience or a majority of the audience comes away thinking, uh, feeling that sympathy and mm. and kind of doing what the musical wants, forgetting his abusive tendencies because they've been romanticised mm. and, again, being intoxicated with the idea of the Phantom, yeah. who is kind of a sex symbol in musical theatre? Like, a little bit, yeah. Especially when somebody like Ramin plays him, who not only is, like, a phenomenal performer, like, holy crap, his version of music is the, music is the night. <laughs> music of the night is just to die for. But he's also very heckin' conventionally attractive like that's Mm -hmm. that's a handsome man very attractive man and so yeah i think you're right in that he the phantom is like almost like a music theater sex symbol and i i wonder like if the phantom was played by somebody slightly less conventionally attractive than the people who usually play it would people have that sympathy Mm. for him Yeah, that's a really good point. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I also kind of want to talk a little bit more about the fact that he's got this sympathetic backstory where um, 
Madame Giri goes into the fact that he was um, uh, paraded around and was kind of like a um, like a circus freak almost locked in a cage. Yeah, like because of this like, disfigurement um, and the fact that because the world has been so cruel to him, that explains why he is this horrible character to everyone else and explains his actions. Um, and I think something that um, this is something that I'm pretty sure I saw on Instagram. Um, this is very much the, the millennial in me is like, here's a bit of wisdom that I found on, on Instagram. Um, that being said, I, I think that blanket statements about millennials um, and generalizing about a generation are crap. I could go on about that for a while, but I'm getting off topic. <laughs> How unlike me. Something that I um, saw on Instagram that I really liked was this idea that something can explain your actions without excusing them. So, like, you, I, I would hazard a guess that there are very, very few instances of abuse where there isn't some underlying trauma that has caused an abuser to become an abuser. Um, unless you know, you just have absolutely zero sense of ethics or morals. I don't think that anyone is is born abusive. That's something that comes as a result of trauma. And while the trauma can explain why somebody is abusive, it doesn't excuse it. And I think that that's a fine line that Phantom toes, and I think that he's portrayed almost sympathetically because of what's happened to him but it it shouldn't excuse the um the harm that he's caused pretty much everybody else pretty much every <laughs> other character in this show and he kind of like he kind of gets to have a happy ending as well like they they they, they, he, they let him escape and he gets to go out and Leave, leave the life behind having finally felt, quote-unquote, love and affection from somebody else. Like, they, they kind of reward the Phantom for his actions, and he just leaves behind numerous traumatized people, particularly Christine, who spends a lot of the show terrified oh, of absolutely. the Phantom. Yeah. Like, it, it, it got to the point where um, when... All I Ask of You, uh, the, the the big seminal love song between her and Raul, started, um, I started questioning whether or not she actually meant the things she was saying mm. or if she was simply looking for a way to escape the nightmare that the Phantom had trapped her in. Yeah. And she's like, oh, here's a guy who who is willing to take me away from this. I will do literally anything to get him to take me out of this bad situation, mm. which puts a very different spin on one of the greatest musical theatre love songs of all yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of want to dive into the relationship between Christine and Raoul um, because, again, it's something that was probably true of 19th century France but that doesn't hold up by modern standards in that the, the, the dynamic feels very oh, I am a strong man, I've got to protect you, you will be safe with me. Like That 
feels very much like the vibe that um, or the the sentiments that Raul has towards Christine. Um, and like you said, I think that another layer that comes in there is the fact that um, she might only be seeking out this relationship because she does want that protection from the Phantom. Raul's also really dismissive of Christine's worries. Like, mm. like the beginning of, of All I Want of You, all, all I Ask of You, so I, I know what names are. All I want, want of, of you. you. Music is the night. <laughs> Music um, is the night. <laughs> including the greatest hit. <laughs> Phantom near the opera. And... <laughs> Um, so the, the the opening lyrics of All I Ask of You is you could read it as him trying to like calm her down and ease her but it can also be read as him dismissing her very real worries because somebody's literally just died on stage beforehand mm. and he's very much like oh it's okay I'll look after you the phantom you don't have to worry about the phantom he's not an issue and she's spending this entire time going, he is terrifying me. He's, like, in my head, tormenting me constantly. And he's just like, ah, you'll be all right. Let's get married. And, like, just the the entire time just... Oh, okay, no, sorry, here's my tangent. (laughs) When the Phantom kidnaps Christine for the final time, and... I like that you have to distinguish, like, first uh, first kidnapping, (laughs) uh, second kidnapping. Otherwise people get confused. There's a lot of kidnapping going on. Uh, Raoul is instructed by Madame Giry, uh, here's how you get to the Phantom's Lair, and whatever you do, keep your hand at the level of your eye. Here is the one instruction I'm giving you, Raoul, keep your hand at the level of your eye. And she even says, it's because he will strangle you with his lasso. And Raoul's like, got it, I will keep my hand at the level of my eye. And then at the very first instance that he could have done it, forgets to do it and gets himself strangled. And I'm just like, Raul, you are so dumb. I and so, oh my, oh I my goodness. I think that women's fears and women's opinions being dismissed is a big through line all through Phantom. Like the whole the whole time, Christine terrified of the Phantom. Raul is like, yo, don't worry about it. Um, the whole time, Madame Giry is the only one that takes the Phantom seriously and is like, he's going to do terrible things. And all of these like pompous um, theatre executives and like the head of the opera are like, oh, no, the Phantom cannot hurt us. Huh? And it's like, I'm really dismissive of her. Moral of the story, listen to the women. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If they'd like listened to Christine at the very beginning, then... You wouldn't have to worry about all the... The chandelier wouldn't have fell. You wouldn't have multiple murders happen on stage. That poor audience. The audiences who keep coming back to the opera and going, I'm sure this one will be fine. But also, like, there's that bit where it's like, oh, the audience love the gossip. So they're almost, like, there to see, like, what disaster is going to happen next. I wonder how how big a death count this opera is going to (laughs) have. Yeah. Um, And, like, I'm not... By no means am I saying... Like, yes, you should submit to blackmail and you should, like, fulfill a blackmailer's request. All I'm saying is that Madame Jury had a bit of a point. Had some very good advice. Yeah, because they ignored the blackmail entirely and a lot of people died. <laughs> yeah. 
this musical also isn't particularly like the women in this musical don't really support the other women in this musical uh when the phantom requests that christine take the lead role instead of uh, carlotta she immediately jumps to the conclusion that christine has slept her way to the top Mm. and then everybody around goes yeah that's probably it yeah she's probably sleeping with the phantom and therefore that's why um he's he's taken such an interest in her damn it carlotta Oh, it's it's and it, girls support girls. Just come on, support each other. There's a lot of slut shaming, yeah, in that sequence particularly. I, I do think though that there is like a supportive dynamic between Meg and Christine, at least, I, at I, least to begin with. To, to begin with, I think it uh, sort of disintegrates. Meg is the one who says, "Oh, Christine is able to do this because she has a new singing teacher and she's been practicing and she's really great." So, like, it kind of start. It, it does start off rather supportive, and then I think Meg gets a little bit jealous of the attention that Christine has been getting, and really wants to be the Phantom's squeeze. Mm. And and it kind of everybody turns on Christine, who is the victim in yeah. all of this. Yeah. Like, she, which I think is sort of like almost. Another comment about how victims in um, abusive dynamics um, are treated like there's like victim shaming is rife, um, and yeah, the whole again, like I said about um, why didn't you leave? Why why didn't you just like leave your abusive relationship? Um, is kind of paralleled in the fact that Christine is the one who. Um, everybody turns on when she is the victim. I also want to talk about um, the Christine Raoul love story, story arc, Um, because it very much follows the trope of we're in a musical, so we're going to fall in love the instant that we meet one another. Um, And... On one hand, I do think that's just like a product of the genre and the fact that, especially when you have a musical that spans over a significant time period, like you have very little time to dedicate to actually developing a connection between two characters. It's like, oh, we've met, we're in love, great. Um, It's very um, also like, you know, Cosette and Marius, Mm. like, I do not even know your name, but... But already they're promising. But already have a heart full of love. (laughs) Um, and on one hand, I think it's a product of the genre. Uh, on the other hand, I think it can like play into your theory, Ellis, about the fact that Christine is only seeking out a relationship with Raoul to protect her from the Phantom. Um, but just, I think on a broader, like in, in a broader context, I, I do think that it gives a an unrealistic portrayal of how romantic relationships play out. I think there are a lot of factors that come into how well that kind of romance works. Like, I've read a bunch of places that people think that uh, Cosette and Marius in particular, it comes down to the actors. And if the actors can sell that love at first sight kind of thing, Mm. then the whole story works. And if they can't sell that initial moment, none of it works. Mm. I also think part of it specific to Phantom is if any of the characters were just a little bit more fleshed out and you knew a little bit more about them, you would understand why they're in love 
And I think that's probably more of the issue. Since the characters aren't as strong, you don't understand why they're attracted to each other or why we should care about their romance at all. Um, but I also think... I think it comes down to lazy writing. If you like, you can write a really great love song, which all I ask of you is wonderful, and just assume that the audience will go along with it because the song's really good. Mm. Whereas if you take um, if you take this podcast's favorite musical example <laughs> of Legally Blonde, now the uh, the yardstick by which we measure <laughs> all other musicals, the um, the romance between Elle and Emmett is really, uh, really fleshed out because both characters have, you get a really good sense of who those characters mm. are. Their relationship grows throughout the entire musical and yet it's still a subplot to the entire story at hand. It yeah. doesn't dominate the focus of the thing. And I think that's a really good example of a well-told musical love story that this music, that The Phantom isn't, really interested in doing because I think it still wants you to be in love with the Phantom. Mm. It's it, almost like, oh no, we can't um, have everybody shipping Christine and Raul because that detracts from the main love story. The in... greatest love story ever told. <laughs> Absolutely. Love story in inverted commas um, between Christine and the Phantom. <laughs> Ellis, I have so many thoughts. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack, and I feel like I feel like I wouldn't care as much if it wasn't the longest-running musical on Broadway. Mm. If it wasn't the kind of pinnacle of mainstream musical theater that anybody on the street would know. Like yeah. this is the example that we are giving to people. Yeah, we're romanticizing abuse. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's probably like taking putting it extremely, <laughs> but. Even still, that's sort of the message. That's the takeaway. Yeah. Um, does Phantom pass the Bechtel test? I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that my instinct is that it does not. I don't believe it does unless we're counting the very first conversation between Meg and Madame Giri and Christine. Where they're talking about ballet? I think... Like, maybe. Like, does that count? <laughs> I, I think Madame... G- Again, it's a very low bar. It's an incredibly low bar. Like, we- just because something passes the Bechtel test does not make it a feminist work. No. But I also am struggling to, to think that this does, in fact, because even that conversation, I think, is about her new singing teacher, who is the Phantom. Mm. Yes. Actually, <laughs> I've just had the realisation that the Phantom is... Uh, is Poochie from The Simpsons, wherein whenever the Phantom isn't on stage, all the other characters sit around going, where's the Phantom? <laughs> and that's kind of what the entire musical's about. It's, everything comes back in relation to this one character who is admittedly the most fleshed out character in the show and who is also an abuser mm. who abuses everyone. Yes. Um... <laughs> Something, like a little bit of a side note, um, the the book that it's based on is in French. I 
could not tell me tell you who wrote it. Ellis, do you want to do, do it some was, quick fact checking? It was written by Gaston Leroux. Ooh. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. No one <laughs> writes books like Gaston. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but just something that I find interesting is the fact that in French it's Le Fantôme de l'Opéra, and Fantôme in French means ghost. Um, but I like that in the English translation, they've been like, no, phantom. Like, that sounds sexier. Like, ghosts aren't sexy. Like, they've gone, that made a distinct choice. It's phantom, not ghost. Yeah, you can, it's easier to capitalize mm. phantom. Although, do you know what I find so funny? Is the fact that in all of the correspondence with the phantom to like the opera directors, he signs it OG, meaning <laughs> opera ghost. Naturally, but to my like 21st century ears, I hear OG and I'm like, original gangster? Like, what? I kind of want to see that adaptation. I think that'd be great. Yeah. And it makes sense because like it was written in the 80s and I don't think OG as a term was like, I think that was like maybe like 90s hip hop that that became, yeah. became a thing. Um, <laughs> but, but nowadays. It's so like sign OG. <laughs> oh man. I, I think we, we've been very negative about this musicals are probably more negative than we have about anything else. Do we want to run through things that we think it does well? Yeah. Like, I think the score is undeniably beautiful. Um, Like, I think Music of the Night as a piece in itself is just completely stunning. Um, And, yeah, the, the beautiful operatic stuff that Christine sings is just, is just glorious. The, the song Phantom of the Opera, if I ever need to, like, get myself amped, that's one of the songs that I go to because it's impossible to to not hear that and just, like, get really excited about whatever you're doing. Like, like I'm like, I'm driving to the shops. Yeah! Just want to walk around the cape and everything like that. I also think that all of the interactions, like, that that whole sequence with the letters and the opera executives and Carlotta. Um, like, that's funny. Like, I was, <laughs> I was listening to that bit and I was like, this is, this is good writing. Like, I had a little bit of, like, a chuckle to myself <laughs> listening to that. Um, so I think that there are some, like, light comedic moments that I think are done really well. And as we said before, the spectacle is kind of yeah. amazing. Like... Like the sequence when they like they come through on the boat and the mist and everything, it's really it it's quite breathtaking. Mm. Um, I think that yeah, th- there's a lot of good about the Phantom. Yeah, but the, again, once you think about it, I think that's going to be a recurring theme. I yeah. mean, you said that with Greece, and <laughs> and I was just like, well, what do you think about it for like a second? It all comes crumbling down. Yeah, I do think you're right. I think that the spectacle almost it does a good job of like covering up some of the problematic themes and then when you break it down you're like oh oh dear <laughs> the greatest love story ever told ellis do you think that we as feminists are going to rate or ruin phantom of the opera as feminists i i think we have to ruin phantom of I the think opera so too. sorry Fans, fans Fan. with a PH. <laughs> <laughs> but more so than that, on like a personal level, um, so I, I first saw Phantom when the 25th 
anniversary thing came out, uh, however many years ago that was. Nine, nine years ago. We, it was 2011, right? 2011. Um, so nine years ago when it came out, that's the first time I saw it. And I saw it in the cinemas because they broadcast it there, and I really loved it. Uh, I, I got away, I bought the CD, and again, I like listened to a bunch of the songs. Um, so I, I've been, a, I've been a, a fan of Phantom. A fan, fan with, with a, a PH. PH. <laughs> um, for a while, but now revisiting it for this podcast, I, not only do I think I have to ruin it as a feminist, I think I have to ruin it for myself. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> there was just so much that, like, listening to it, I'm like, this is... Like, it, the way that they're treating Christine and the way that the kind of... The, the shallowness of a lot of it, of it in, inherently, and also the... The romanticization, romanticization, romanticism, romanticism. The way they romanticize, <laughs> we fix that. Um, the way they romanticize the Phantom really left a sour taste in my mouth. Mm. And as much as I, I think I can really appreciate a lot of individual parts of the score, particularly, I don't think I can call myself a fan of the show anymore. Oh, snap. Yeah. On that happy note. <laughs> Um, thanks for listening, friends. Um, we've been really excited that um, listeners have been like engaging with us and telling us um, what they thought of um, our previous episodes and like you know the talking points and stuff. So hit us up if you have strong feelings about Phantom of the Opera and its feminist portrayal or otherwise. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we love hearing your thoughts. Uh, yeah, if, if you if you disagree with what we have to say please like let us know we're really open to that discussion if you think the f- we should be sympathetic to the phantom please tell us why mm. um again we're, we're really interested to hear all these dynamic yeah. points of view if you're a huge fan of phantom of the opera but also a feminist who's like you know what i'm just gonna like put aside my feminist convictions for a hot second to enjoy this please let us know because if you're enjoying some really sick music theatre, then, like, power to you. And if you're Andrew Lloyd Webber, I have nothing but respect for you and your work. (laughs) Please hire me again. (laughs) On that happy note, thank you for listening, friends. Uh, We'll talk to you next week on Feminism Ruins Everything. Bye. Take care. Feminism Ruins Everything. It's a feminist podcast. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.